What's up, friends? Back with another episode of Bonefish, a podcast about psychedelic experimental music, animal collective, and beyond. My name is Christian. I am here with Justin. What's up, friends? Feels good to be potting again. We kind of blew it on a Halloween episode. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we blew Which it. is a bummer. We had a lot of ideas and we executed none of them. And <laughs> You've been like really busy with something. What have you What have you been up to? I've been just trying to keep a baby alive. You You are a father now. Congrats. Yeah. I yeah, got to meet so, the little guy on Halloween. Yeah, we've got an cutie. excuse. We've got an excuse for <laughs> being delinquent. Uh, we banked some episodes. We banked some episodes in the queue for you guys. Yeah, including today's, which was recorded... A little bit ago, actually before Isn't It Now came out, but we've been hanging on to it. But the time has come. We uh, we got to chat with Mark Richardson, former uh, editor-in-chief of Pitchfork. Great music writer. He covered a bunch of Animal Collective's albums, including reviews for Meriwether Post Pavilion, Strawberry Jam, Person Pitch, Feels, also Fall Be Kind and Prospect Hummer EPs. And of course, tons of great writing on other bands. The list goes on and on. Yeah, Mark, definitely. Early champion of the band. Yeah, early champion of the band. Just one of my favorite music writers overall, you know. Smart dude, nice dude. Yeah, yeah. And he was down to go deep with us on a Sunday about Young Prayer, which kind of a forgotten record in the animal collective universe but yeah man it's been really listening to it a lot it's a lost gem for sure it's definitely a lost gem it's it's Panda really Bear's good first widely available solo album he's got like the sort of self-titled one that's kind of not really canon as mark puts it in the interview we also get into some stuff about his journey with the band and uh sung tongs we asked him why Meriwether wasn't given a perfect 10. <laughs> but yeah, he's just, he's really good at kind of articulating what makes this band so unique and, and special. But before we get to that, uh, what's up, man? You've been, you've been listening to anything good lately? I've been listening to the new Greenhouse album. Oh, nice. I haven't checked it out yet. Yeah, it's probably my favorite. I think it's her, her third record. Really liking it. Probably one of my favorite records of the year. This other group, um, I think it's a duo. I don't know if it's a duo called Pure Link. Have you heard of yeah, their music? Yeah, dude. Yeah, I was just listening to that album. It's great. Yeah, since we're talking experimental music, um, that's one of my faves this year. Signs I mean, is the like album name, the new album. Yeah, it's got kind of like a. They released two. Th- yeah, they released two this year. Oh, nice. But Signs is the new is a newer one. It came out in the past month or two. They kind of conjure like the early Y2K, like gas style ambient. Yeah. Reminds me a lot of, um, who's that guy? He's, he's a lot newer, big ambient artist, Huerco S. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard some of his stuff. Uh huh. He's like amazing. The Pure Link reminds me of him. But yeah, it's like, how would you describe it? Like it's ambient, but there's like still beats kind of coming in and out. Yeah, like Ambient House. Yeah, there you go. In that zone. That's a great album. I've been uh, revisiting the Deerhoof record, The Runners 4, which just got a vinyl reissue 
double LP, which came out in 2005, sort of the era we're talking about in this episode, kind of the Sung Tongs, Young Prayer era. Amazing album, dude. This was Greg, the drummer, and Satomi, the singer, who are kind of the backbone of the band. And then the guitarist, John Dietrich, who's still in the band. And then uh, Chris Cohen, who's a solo artist now. He was. This was his last Deer Hoof record. Yeah, you need to listen to that. That's a. It's a good place to start for Deer Hoof. Yeah, I got. I got to get into Deer Hoof one day. Yeah, man, life's too short to not love Deer Hoof. I did learn some new information about you, though, Christian. Apparently, you covered My Girls in college during like a <laughs> oh, <no>. show and tell. <laughs> show and tell, uh, talent show, bro. Show and tell. <laughs> <laughs> a salad show yeah yeah it was first grade at show and tell i sung my girls even though it wouldn't come out for you wrote my girls no yeah i did i performed my girls in college at a talent show much to the (laughs) perplexion of uh my classmates but but my uh one day wife was in the audience and even though she hadn't heard the band she was she was pretty into it so Oh wow! Were you guys like? Did did you even know each other? Say Animal Collective brought us together. Did you even know each other? No, not no, not yet. Saw that performance and fell in love. It it rizzed her up, dude. (laughs) Me singing those, me hitting those auxiliary drums. Anyway, enough chit chat. Let's get to our interview with Mark Richardson on Young Prayer. Super psyched to be joined by Mark Richardson. Uh, Mark, of course, was uh, at Pitchfork for a long time, about 20 years, starting as a freelancer managing editor, editor and executive editor. Uh, yeah. A lot of great writing, recruited a lot of great writers, and we're really glad he's here. How you doing? Yeah, well, thanks a lot for having me. I'm, I'm doing well. Always fun to talk about this band, and um, yeah. yeah, I'm really, really excited to, to chat about this. First, I just want to get out of the way. Uh, you rejected one of my pitches, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe ten years ago, and okay. I, I, I just want to say it was an honor. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's the real reason for this interview is to confront you. All right, no, yeah. no, no. I have a lot of those old emails, you know, for a while. So please, uh, please don't, please don't look at it. Please don't look at it. Please, it was, uh, <laughs> it was about the dead, um, and it, it really wasn't for a pitchfork audience. I don't think at the time, and. Um, but yeah, thank you for responding, honestly. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> that didn't always happen just because there was a lot of email coming through. Oh, no, totally get it, man. Um, yeah, and Mark, uh, Mark these days is the pop and music critic for Wall Street Journal. Before we kind of get into the Animal Collective universe and, and Young Prayer, which we're going to talk about today, what's it been like, you know, writing for Wall Street Journal compared to like, you know, Pitchfork? Um, how's it been for you? Yeah. So, you know, like I left Pitchfork in 2018 after 11 years as a full-time employee. And then, as you mentioned, I I started writing for the site in 1998 and I still do contribute to the site actually. Mm -hmm. But so I left there then. And then shortly after that, 
Wall Street Journal invited me to contribute. And then um, they brought me on as the rock and pop critic. You know, it's where I'm not actually an employee. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I do one piece a week for them and it's a freelance thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I do like, it's not all I do for work, but, um, but it's good. You know, it's, it's very, it is very different. You know, I think like, Mm-hmm. It's been a real exercise in learning how to write for a more general audience. Just the whole thing of writing when you you have to assume, you know, you have eight or nine hundred words to get into. I usually review albums for them and the, um, eight or nine hundred words to get into this record. But you have to assume that the person reading this has never heard of this band or any yeah. anything you're talking about. So you have to spend, the, you know, you have to spend time bringing people up to speed. And um, I do get to write about some, I definitely, I, and I cover, I do cover more mainstream artists than I ever would have at Pitchfork just because that wasn't really mm. my lane. Mm. But um, I get to cover mostly what I want to. So um, often I'm, in, you know, introducing some artists that like people have really never heard of, you know. Um, so I, I like the challenge yeah. of that, you know, like I just reviewed the, you know, the, solo album you know rami from xx oh, uh, right on. just released her her first solo album on friday and oh, that's out. Um, that's out. i gotta check that out like mm-hmm. it. just came out friday and you know that, that's a good example where like in the realm of pitchfork everybody knows who that is just say rami from xx and they're like oh yeah sure yeah. Know, i know the xx but like you know the audience for the wall street journal it, i really have to start from scratch like who's rami who was the xx what 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 was the place of the XX and um, why is this record interesting? And I have to, I have to really work to get, get all that out of the way in like 200 words. So it's, it's very challenging and, um, but pretty fun in that way. So, um, and then, you know, when I do have the opportunity to write for Pitchfork, which I pitch them, I do some Sunday reviews and other mostly reissues and jazz stuff for them. Cause I don't write about jazz for the journal at all. And um, yeah. it is it is really fun to write for hardcore music nerds. So I, I really enjoy that, too. So it's kind of fun to be able to do both. Yeah, I love the Keith Jarrett review you recently did. Um, I finished reading it last night listening while listening to the record. And man, what a great album. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, that was um, so fun to research and write about. Yeah, I guess... One of the things I, I've liked about your writing, you know, over the years is you kind of seem like a purist, like you really focus in on the sound, what it's like for a person to be sitting in a room in the experience of listening. And to me, you're not so much about backstories that much or, or kind of what is cool or, or, or politics. Um, do you feel the same way? And do you, you know, today at all, do you feel like maybe an outlier? in that regard yeah. as, a, as a writer a little bit I, I do feel a little bit like an outlier and I, I think that's an accurate characterization you know I think like backstory in terms of context I definitely try to get in there but like yeah I'm definitely much you know it's like it's not even really by choice but um I'm I'm definitely much more focused on the music rather than than like yeah like the surrounding context in terms of like how this connects with other things going on in culture or, yeah. um, you know, and I, I really like a lot of that as a reader, but sure, I just, sure. that just doesn't come naturally to me. And it doesn't really like, 
um, it's just not really how I experience music. And so I kind of just try to straight, stay true to, to mostly to how I experience music. Yeah. And, um, so it's like, it's, you know, it's got its pluses and minuses, you know, like, but generally you're right. I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of try to focus on things at that, at that level, just cause that's just what feels natural to me. Yeah. Right on. Um, what do you think of Pitchfork these days? Uh, um, I, I, I think they, you know, I, I, I'm a regular reader of the site and I still know a lot of people that are involved yeah. as editors. There's definitely a lot of people that I, that, that are, you know, it's been five years now since I was on staff there. So, um, a lot of people, a lot of people that I don't know at all, but, um, I think they, I think they've done a really nice job. I mean, the site's definitely changed, you know, like they, in terms of the artists they champion and the scenes they champion, it has to reflect who's there, you know, and like who's on staff and, you know, what they're really enjoying. And I think they do a really mm -hmm. nice job with that. You know, it's, yeah, Pitchfork in general is like, it's, it's very, very challenging to run a um, music website with so much history, you know, like mm -hmm. um, 25 yeah. years worth of opinions. And now there's been, Mm -hmm. kind of like two eras in terms of who's in charge actually more than two really but um how would you break them down the well eras? so i i guess a couple eras i would say was like there was the era when um ryan schreiber started the site you know yeah, yeah. um and, and he ran he did everything he ran everything um up until the first employee they hired was in 2003 the first like full-time employee so for from that period you know, it was just him doing everything. And then they, they hired um, this guy, Scott Plagenhoff, in 2004. And he was the first editorial staffer. I think his title was managing editor then. Mm -hmm. So it's like 2004 is the kind of the, the earliest era to 2004 is kind of like the Wild West era in a lot of ways. Gotcha. Where, um, you know, concept reviews and <laughs> reviews that read like you know were actually screenplays and you know that kind of stuff that was all in that era and it was also like it was really just like a bunch of friends messing around a lot of times yeah you know, who were yeah. Like, music fans and um and it really in i always thought it like it kind of grew out of 90s zine culture which was more like mm -hmm. just more like freewheeling sometimes more you know definitely like um a lot of deserved criticism for you know insensitivity you know misogyny like that that was mm -hmm. definitely in the mix you know yeah. um yeah but anyway scott came along and he kind of made it he was an experienced journalist and he kind of gave it um more professionalism so it's like his era you know and then i was then i took over as editor-in-chief in um 2011 and um you know, by that time, like indie music was changing pretty rapidly. So, um, yeah. you know, 2011 to 2018, it's probably another era just because not so much because of my presence, but, um, just because like indie music in the social media era was really being absorbed into the mainstream in a different way. Mm -hmm. And of course we're going to talk about animal collective and yeah. like they, they really come from, to, you know, I was listening to Young Prayer and Sung Tongs today. And, um, yeah, both of which sounded amazing. And, um, nice. The, and it's from the, the to me, they kind of like owned the 2000s, you know, it's like, and they've released a lot of good music since, but, um, yeah, 2000s, they were like in this very rarefied place. 
And it was just the way that music was distributed and created and discussed. It was just so different then. And um, so, yeah, the era in the 2010s was a different era of Pitchfork. And then from 2018, Pooja Patel, you know, another editor-in-chief. Mm-hmm. And now it's a new era. So I think yeah. those are all distinct yeah. eras. And it's just very challenging to, um, it's, you know, oh, and the probably the, the era that sticks most in people's mind is early 2000s Pitchfork. So when they're like, oh, you know, Pitchfork is when they, especially if they read the site then, that's still what first comes to mind in terms of what they think it is. But that was a long time ago at this point. That's 20 years, you know? Yeah. And um, so it's like, yeah, it, it yeah. But I, I do think the site now is 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 really good. It's just it's just adapted based on who's there and what's going on in music. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, kind of to your point about you know Animal Collective and when they came onto the scene, kind of concurrent to the rise of of, of Pitchfork and you guys. I'm curious, you know, how did you get into the band? How did you? I mean, was it word of mouth? Was it PR person? Was it live? How did they? Do you remember the first time you heard them or heard their name? I do. Yeah. You know, I, I remember it very well um, because I was, at, you know, I think there was a, there was a staff board that Pitchfork had in around 2003. Mm. And I was also very friendly with a couple of writers. Mm. Basically there were other writers who were there mm. who covered a lot of more underground music, which is pretty much exclusively what I covered then. You know, I was, I wrote about, Nice experimental music, electronic music, like that was just totally where my head was. And um, mm-hmm. I covered a lot of like laptop stuff and finesse and you know nice. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, two writers that I was very friendly with were Dom Dominic Leon and um, a guy named Andy Andy Beta, and I'm still yeah. friends with Andy. Nice. And I used to I lived in Virginia at the time, and it used to come up to new york sometimes and see hang out with andy with my wife and um andy was very embedded in the brooklyn underground music scene like big time and he knew he was hanging out you know at shows where all these bands were coming up and so there was this kind of scene then that was i i always think the first the first animal collective album i heard was um, what's now called Arc and was then called Here Comes the Indian. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, nice. That it definitely it was on Pitchfork's year in that list that year. And I know that both Dom and Andy loved it. And so I heard that they loved it. I checked it out and I absolutely loved it. So that was my introduction to the band. And it was a, it was a good introduction because it, it, it was kind of fun to be introduced to them before they were kind of as song oriented as they became. And just see how, because the evolution from one record to the next was just unbelievable. Yeah, that's that's what we're kind of different. I mean, Christian and I were Meriwether babies. Um, yeah. Talk about what it was like to kind of in real time see this trajectory, which it's yeah. like you just, you didn't know where they were going next. And it must have been so exciting and surprising. Oh my God. It, yeah, it was, it was, it was completely, yeah, it was thrilling. I so I heard that album and, and I ver- instantly slotted it very closely with Black Dice. You know, I did mm. a, um, nice. I'd heard Beaches and Canyons, a record that they did. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually wrote a 20th anniversary piece for Stereo Gum. Oh yeah, I, I read that one. And um, I loved Beaches and Canyons. Wild, so wild album. 
Yeah, it, it is. It's great. And then when I heard, um, I'll, I'll just call it ARC because that's what they call it now. Yeah. But um, when I heard ARC, I, it was like, and I, of course I knew that they played shows together and like Dave, you know, if he hadn't yet, he soon would be making music with Eric from Black Dice. They did some things together. So it was like, I was like, oh, they're kind of like a Black Dice satellite band. That's interesting. So, but I could tell just from a few of the, you know, vocal pieces on that album, the one that really stands out, it's called Infant Dressing Table. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it kind of builds from these clattering mm-hmm. sounds to this like hu- huge swell of like voices. And I'm like, wow, they, there's a lot, they have a lot of tools in their toolbox here because they can <laughs> sing beautifully too. Yeah. Even though most of the records aren't like that at all. And um, so I was really taken with it. And then, um, you know, I don't think, I'm not sure that I, I definitely bought that, really enjoyed it. And then I can't remember the order of what came out when, and some things were like reissued. So there was somewhere in there was the live album, Holiday. Dagen or something. Yeah, I've never, said, I've never said that loud before. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> no, no, nobody, no, nobody knows uh, Halinda Gain. Not many have. Nobody knows. Yeah, <laughs> which, <laughs> I really like a lot. Um, and you know, I maybe I heard the reissue of that. I don't think I heard it when it first came out, yeah. but that was around that time. And yeah, that was O two. That was O two. O two. Okay, it was O two, but it was a very small run, and it was reissued by Fat Cat, like maybe mm. between Arc and Song Tongs, but. Yeah. So anyway, I heard that and I was like, you know, it definitely reinforced the idea that this was this kind of experimental noise band that also did songs sometimes. And then I remember getting the uh, Sung Tongs promo and, you know, I, I definitely heard that before Young Prayer. I know that. Did you, ha- had you heard Campfire songs at that point? I had not heard Campfire okay. songs yet. Okay. Uh, that was, was kind of like... Exciting. Yeah, like... When I got Sung Tongs, I definitely, like, then I actively tracked down all the stuff that I didn't have. You know, I was, yeah. I was actually, I was pretty late to file sharing because um, mm-hmm. very weirdly, I, you know, just where I, I lived in Richmond, Virginia, money was tight. And I honestly just didn't have um, high speed internet until very late. I, I, I was still on dial up internet for quite a while. So I wasn't wow. like downloading albums, you know, uh-huh. um, when I say quite a while, it was probably oh four or something so it wasn't like oh i like this band i'm gonna get all their records right now and you know i'd either order them from websites or find them in the record store so um but when i got sung tongs that's when i was like okay i want to get everything they've ever done and so that's when i got the first two records and i got campfire songs and once i got campfire songs and then once i heard young prayer and you guys will have to tell me the exact chronology here but it was like all those things were in a fairly short period of time. Yeah. And um, it went Campfire, Sung Tongs, Young Prayer. Yeah. So, and all those I think came out within 18 months or something, probably. Mm-hmm. And that was really like their acoustic phase. You know, it was like they were doing things with just voice and acoustic guitar, which is like the last thing I would have ever expected based on hearing Arc first mm-hmm. and then the live album. Uh, but then you hear like, oh, they're doing unplugged acoustic stuff. And it's like, well, yes, but it's very strange still, but it's becoming more song-like, but it's still like, it's equally as experimental, but now it's like this unplugged clattery acoustic version, which was just really, really interesting. I mean, I was just like, I, I think at that point they became like 
my favorite band. Hell yeah. Active band for sure. And so I was just, because I was just fascinated by them. I was like, how are, you know, this, they're, they're doing all these different things and I don't know what the next, I don't know what's coming next. Yeah. And, um, it was in actually like looking at it now, especially for a band that was, they weren't, they were definitely not like big by that time, but they were certainly becoming known. And, um, but you just don't, it's pretty rare, you know, to just have, to, to have some success and have a sound that you're known for and just keep changing that much. You know, it was like, just so, it was just thrilling. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. At that point I was definitely an obsessive fan. Had you seen him live yet? Or so I had seen him live. Not, I wouldn't even call this a funny story, but there, there is a story about that, which is that, so I lived in Richmond, Virginia and, um, there used to be this print zine that was a quarterly called grooves, which covered mostly like, well, you know, what, what was them called IDM? It's mostly electronic music, but it covered experimental music. And, um, I started writing for them an issue or two before. Mm-hmm. And then that year I was, I pitched, I was like, Hey, what if I interview animal collective and I'll do a piece on them? And, um, they proved it. So I guess that was, yeah, that was Oh four probably. So I was going to interview Animal Collective and I was, they were going to play this show at this club called Tokyo Rose in Charlottesville. And I was going to interview them after the show. So I was driving there 70 mile drive and, um, I got a flat tire after like 10 miles. So I was like, okay, I got to put my little tire on there and I can't, I didn't, it was night time. I didn't want to drive 150 miles on the little tire. So I was like, I've now got to get, I got to get this fixed. And by the time it was all said and done, it was too late for me to go. So I missed, I missed that show. And um, so I didn't get to see him. Uh, and then I did a phoner a day or two later, uh-huh. and I did end up doing that interview. What tour was this for? Uh, was this like 04 or 05? Or? So it was, they were playing Sung Tong stuff. Okay, but so um, 03 probably. Yeah, but so I think it was 03 because they were playing Sung Tong stuff, but it wasn't out yet, you know? Yeah, 03, 03 is when they played a lot of that yeah. material. And my friend Amanda Petrusich, who's now mm-hmm. a writer for The New Yorker, uh, she lived in Charlottesville at that time. And she went to that show and she said it was fucking amazing. And so I was like really bummed that I missed it. But um, I interviewed them at that, that after that, that was the first time I interviewed them. And I have interviewed them like four or five times in various permutations. So I've talked to them quite a bit over the years. But um, uh-huh. yeah, so I didn't see them then. And I, I wound up seeing them um, right before Feels came out. That was my first time seeing them live. So at that point they had electric guitar and this kind of a little bit more of a rock band set up. And imagine that was more strawberry jam, maybe already, already coming out. It was, um, you know, I didn't know a decent amount of what they played, but, um, Mm -hmm. some of it was familiar and, you know, and it was really great. And of course I've seen them a a number of times since. So yeah, that's kind of a thumbnail sketch of it. And I started writing about him. The first two things I wrote, was that interview and then i wrote the review of the companion ep with vashti bunyan that they did um which i think is amazing you yeah, know, yeah they've done a lot of those i think they've for like four or five records in a row they did like a three or four song ep after the album came out that was other stuff from those sessions mm-hmm. and oh, that's really one, good 
Yeah, they're always really good. And that one, to me, is particularly good. I mean, one, it was like my introduction to her music. And, um, mm -hmm. man, I was just, yeah, it was so, and then I wrote about uh, Young Prayer. So I, I reviewed both of those. Um, and that was kind of my beginning of writing about them. And it was, I think I covered everything, pretty much everything else they released for Pitchfork for the next, the rest of the decade. And yeah, so, you know, when I think of that era, young, it's, it's there in Young Prayer for sure. And, um, it's there and sunk. It's actually on there on all four of those records. I kind of think of those records together, you know, the EP campfire songs, mm -hmm. um, sung tongs and young prayer. Like I think of those as that's like a, they're yeah. different, but that's like a phase to me. And it's a phase when they were, the acoustic guitar was of huge importance to, to what they were doing. And honestly, yeah. like, yeah, you guys may agree or not, but, I, I had never heard anybody using acoustic guitar like that in music. I totally agree. Where they make they make acoustic sounds psychedelic, just by yeah, yeah. And there's many many songs where they play one chord for the entire song. <laughs> and it's just like it's wild. It's quieter. Now it gets loud, and then it gets quiet, and it's like it's just the same chord. And then they'll be singing around that. And I'm like, did they invent this, or <laughs> it's it was yeah. a very fresh approach to music um i know i i know very it definitely fresh. Drew from like yeah it, it drew from you know definitely drew from like west african guitar music and stuff like that but um yeah not in a super direct way no a lot of references but i think everything you know very tastefully you know like yeah uh, nothing's kind of overtly like a ripoff or like no Let's get into Young Prayer. Uh, we're so glad you mentioned this album. This is this is Panda Bear's second solo album, technically. It was released on Pawtrax Records on September 29th, 2004. Wow, so that's almost 19 years ago. And I just want to read you an excerpt from your review real quick here. Sure. It's the kind of record that will have a profound impact on a small number of people be ridiculed by a few more, and never be heard at all by almost everybody. Young Prayer is incredibly personal and naked, but it's also unique, and it will doubtless disappear and be rediscovered periodically as years pass. So here we are, rediscovering this album. I mean, I, I, I certainly forgot about it, and man, it's been so cool revisiting it. Um, I, I actually think I, I like it even more than I remembered it. Um, I think this is definitely the most minimal Animal Collective release in, in their universe. I think it's their saddest, for sure. And maybe their most spiritual or godlike album. And that's saying a lot for this little album. Um, yeah, those, those things stuck out to me, um, kind of just revisiting it. Uh, Justin mentioned earlier that, that we were, you know, Meriwether Babies, so our route into the band. And I remember, yeah, after my fandom of the group was solidified going back through the whole back catalog and young prayer. I definitely, you know, compared to all the other stuff before didn't really grab me as much as some of the other stuff at the time. Mm -hmm. Same. But, 
but revisiting it now, you know, decades later, and then especially after Justin and I have been doing this podcast, kind of going back through a lot of the earlier stuff, it feels like now it's, yeah, sort of this lost gem of that acoustic period, like you said. Like, it sort of has all the hallmarks of what makes those records so great. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that sort of asynchronous guitar playing and strumming. We did an episode earlier this year on campfire songs that we recorded around a campfire, which was fun. But um, we talked about how just like, yeah, what this guitar style of playing seems so unique. And I, yeah, I would love to, if we get the chance to talk to one of the guys again, just like, when did this first happen? When you guys got together and like sort of invented this style or like, who were you listening to that pointed you in this way? I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned the West, the West African stuff, but, but yeah, Young Prayer, I feel like now is really stands as another diamond in the rough of this particular style of their sound that that they really haven't haven't revisited since then. I mean, I think I think one of the reasons this record ended up becoming, I guess, so overshadowed was Person Pitch was his next solo album that, you know, just blew up and was so stylistically different. You know, I, I could see Person Pitch fans being like going back to Young Prayer and being like, what? Like, like, if you're not a fan, if you don't understand the language, it would be such a, such a rift. But so, yeah, I guess like pre-person pitch coming off of Sun Tongs, like how did, what did you think when you in- encountered this music, this, yeah. this solo record? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, it was, it, it was interesting listening to it today because, you know, I, I hadn't listened to it for a while and, um, you know, listening to it today and it sounded very good to me, but I also realized like, it's it sounded different coming from the band's past than it does coming from the band's future. And um, listening to it today, you know, it brought back a lot of good memories of around when I was first listening to it. Mm-hmm. But I realized I was like, oh, this is actually like not very accessible music at all. <laughs> and at the time, at the time coming from like their noisier past and now even for this band, it's yeah. not it's not accessible. Yeah, they were just getting into this acoustic phase. I was kind of like, it's. it seemed like I was really comparing it to the abstraction of the past. And um, mm. so it seemed, because it, it is pretty abstract, you know, like there's a few things about it that really stood out to me listening today. One, one a, th- a thing that I remember from at the time too, like, you know, there's there's two things about it. There's no song titles, of course. So that's, it makes it hard to discuss an album in in that way. And even now as we're discussing it, I, I kind of wanted to write it down, but I, I didn't write down all my thoughts of different tracks. Cause I, I would love to say well, on track four when he does this and like, I don't have that in front of me. So it's like, mm-hmm. and it, as it kind of unfolds too, you're like, is this a new song or is this part of the last song? Yeah, you know, yeah. where are we? Right. Yeah. So um, that makes it hard to discuss. And then the other thing is like, I was listening, I was like, I don't, I think I understand like literally four words that he sings the entire mm-hmm. album. You know, you hear the word rejoice. Yeah. You know, told me or lonely or something. And but like every once in a while you're like, oh, I there's a word I can understand. <laughs> like that's yeah. There's literally like the way he sings, it's just it's vocal, you know, vocalizations. It sounds very like I probably mentioned this in that piece, but you know, Gregorian chant. It sounds very like liturgical. Yeah. Like um, you know like something you would hear in a cathedral mm-hmm. and like, and his singing almost sounds like Latin, so, you know, or something like that is his lyrics do. So Absolutely. it's like, so it's like, Oh yeah, this is not very accessible at all. You know, like it's, 
it's pretty strange music. And, you know, something I, I remember talking to some people about in the time after that, which I can't remember if I put this in my review or not, but um, it really brings to mind in some ways um, Arthur Russell, World of Echo. Um, if you've mm-hmm. ever heard that album, you know, like that's an album that he recorded with just his voice and cello. And it's like, he has a lot of, this album is like shockingly dry in terms of the recording. There's like a lot of it, there's no reverb at all. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like a lot of it, like he's kind of out of tune or, you know, or, um, or even like, is that, is there a scale that he's tuned to? It's hard to say, you know what I mean? But it's like, to some people I could be like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, this might sound out of tune, but, um, I was thinking of that Arthur Russell album uh-huh. and how, um, you know, that's just his voice and cello. And it's also like, you listen to that and you're like, okay, this kind of sounds like a structured song, but it, it kind of doesn't. And again, with his, you can't understand the lyrics at all. There's like, it sounds like he's singing words, but I don't know what they are. You know? It, it, yeah. It's almost like the, the album is so kind of like arrested by grief or that, all he can do is sort of emote and sing things that don't even sound like words or have these loose structures. And, and that in yep. itself is just beautiful. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 For just for, for anyone who hasn't heard it, of course, this, uh, th- mm-hmm. this was given at the time with the press materials. So it made its way into pieces mm-hmm. that were written, mm-hmm. but um, obviously the word young prayer, you know, that title does invoke the Beach Boys, you know. I mean, they have a very well-known song called "Our Prayer," totally. and um, not that it sounds like the Beach Boys, of course, but he's always rightly compared to Brian Wilson in terms of his vocal tone and stuff. Yeah. But um, but this, you know, this album was recorded right when it's around the time that his father died, and he recorded it um, mm-hmm. in his childhood home, either just after or right around the time of his father's passing. So. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's basically an album about that. So it's an album about loss, an album about grief, and it's yeah. wordless. And, um, yeah, you know, that gives it, like, this, there's, a, there's a couple moments of levity in there. Um, but it, it does sound, it's yeah, it's very, very naked, very, like, vulnerable. Um, and that's why, like, his voice isn't perfectly in tune. It's cracking. Can't really understand the words. But, um it it does convey emotion and it kind of conveys that mm-hmm. like the helplessness of that kind of that kind of moment for somebody yeah i think he played it for his father on his deathbed too yeah yeah okay he's playing those songs while he was dying and so it's it's you know it has this very heavy uh story that goes with it and it just it does you know you, you, if you go into it knowing that it does feel that way you know it doesn't feel like you don't hear uh, young love or, you know, like, it's just, it's got a very like mournful vibe to it. And a lot of that comes in how he, how he sings. Totally. Yeah. I think, uh, I think when I first encountered this music, which at the time for me probably would have been like 2010 or something, I think my only other analog for it was like Sigaros. I was like, Uh he's not singing words, but he's like, he is singing word ish things. And yeah. But it doesn't have sort of the grand sweeping orchestral stuff that Cigarros had at the time. And I think that, plus the sort of just sadness surrounding the record, made me, I guess, a little reluctant to to click for me. But 
But yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the accessible thing. I was just rereading your review. I was like, I think you called it extremely accessible. I was like, oh, wow, I wonder. But it's funnily one of the things with this band, though, like because they started sort of so far left and have kind of made their way more and more accessible. It's like with each of their reviews, it's like, oh, this is Animal Collective's pop album. No, 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 wait, this is Animal Collective's yeah. pop album. Or that of. last one's actually quite experimental, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's to- that, that is the way it felt when it unfolded, too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah, his voice, I mean, it, it, it's funny, I was, I've been reading these westerns like during the summer, like western novels. And listening to this album, I was thinking of, I was just reading this book about the Comanche Indians, and I'm sure uh, other Native American cultures had this too, but often if they knew they were about to die or going to their deaths or maybe like on the way to war, they would sing a death song, a lot of them. And I'm not sure if it was like an individual song or if it was like sort of by tribe, but yeah, it's sort of, sort of the wordlessness, the chantiness of this. And yeah, the nakedness, obviously the associations with the, with the death of his father sort of, sort of brought that to mind. I mean, you, you get the sense that this band has been influenced by, you know, Native American ethos and sort of, yeah, just something that popped to mind revisiting it. Yeah, it's totally. There's this like monastic quality, which that's the stuff that I think really ages well for this band. Sometimes I'm like, am I like getting too old to keep listening to like, you know, Animal Collective? Or I feel like the, Young Prayer is kind of the adult almost like Animal Collective album or, you know, it's the influences it draws on. Like you said, the Gregorian stuff, even like Baroque stuff. It just, it just like really seems to age really well. But uh, yeah, Mark, I know you talked about this idea of, you know, comparing the Beach Boys to, to Noah's music and, and the band's music and how they kind of conjure this feeling or idea of, of God or something deeply spiritual. But Animal Collective kind of, they're not ones for like composing, you know, traditionally, or, or I think you said they're not ones for like composition like Brian Wilson, but they still, they still get it and they get there. Yeah. Can you just like kind of talk about like those feelings that both bands kind of evoke this kind of, yeah, this like, sp- d- like deeply spiritual monastic feeling that is really, really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it, it's interesting. I, some of the things that really draw certain people to the animal collective. Uh, and when I say that I'm always including their solo stuff too, but I yeah. kind of think of it as one big thing. Definitely. Right. But um, some of the things that really draw people to it is also, it's often like the same things that repel people. And um, yeah, I feel like they were a rare, like they're a rare band that really works from a more like instinctual place rather than um you know some like another artist that i really like who has i've written about a lot is uh, bill callahan and um you know he's somebody if you he said in interviews that when he writes when he goes to make a new album he writes the lyrics the entire album puts it all in order and gets them exactly perfect and then he starts thinking about the music you know it's like that's that's how he makes albums wow insane (laughs) So it's uh, like you think uh, of this one extreme where it's like this get up every day with the pad and pen, get at, say everything exactly how you want to say it, then start working through the music. And it's like this kind of very like methodical approach. 
And Animal Collective is really coming. It's it's very like there's something like very instinctive feeling about it and very like responding to the moment and, and being in the moment. And I mentioned that because like, you know, one of the ways that manifests itself really throughout their whole career, but especially during this era is like these kind of vocal arrangements that, that they speed up, they slow down. There's, they're, they're like yelping and maybe barking. And there's there, it is very like, um, you know, you do sometimes imagine like kids who are playing and they are, you know, running around in the woods and making sounds. And like, sometimes the music sounds like that, you know? And um, I think of like that, that kind of approach to music is very spiritual because uh-huh. it's very much about like honoring like the moment and spontaneity. And it feels very like, there's very much like a celebration of life to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah. know that's very physical. Like, yeah, it's very physical. It's very, yep. It's like the way that they make music with their hands in terms of how they're strumming guitar and also with the way that they're using their voices. It's like feeling the pleasure in making sounds. You know, mm, it's like, yes. oh, I just made it, I made a different kind of sound there. Um, that's going to be in my music now, you know? Yeah. And um, I think of that as, yeah, is like a, as pretty spiritual in and of itself because, um, mm. you know, like, the funny thing about you guys, I, I'll, I'll have to go back and listen to your campfire songs pod, but um, you know, that also is a very spiritual sounding album to me. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. you know, it's always been like, like, you know, that was recorded, you know, on a porch in the woods. And um, you know, there's always, I, I think because of like, at this time, animal, you know, they were like, wearing masks and putting on face paint and their shows had to feel of these rituals. And there was something very like pagan about it, you know, or like yeah. Wicca yeah. or, you know, it's like, like join our cult. Yeah. And like, to me, there's to me that in itself is deeply spiritual and young prayer is a little bit more of a little bit more formal than that. Mm-hmm. Um, if only because mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely like it has it has some very clear um restrictions to it you know it's like almost it almost all sounds like live with guitar and voice there's some overdubs here and there but a lot of songs have no overdubs you know so it's very it's got some like it's not very produced you know it's very much like captured so it draws attention to itself a little bit as like a sound of someone in a room doing something as opposed to somebody making a record where it's you're in a control room and you add layers and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know. Like it's all of it, I would say is very spiritual music, but young prayer comes at it from a slightly different angle and um, obviously has the content of the spirituality is different because it deals with something very specific. That's a bit of a ramble. No, no. I mean, no, it's great. I'm very interested in, in this subject and it feels like also, um, in terms of spirituality, um, you know, it's it's hard to be present these days, and music is one of the few things that I mean helps me be present. And I feel like, especially their music, it's kind of yeah, like you said, Mark, celebrating the moment right now, whatever it is, kind of, and yeah, that is spirituality. And I mean, it's just a great feeling, I guess. Um, yeah, I love. I, I wanted to touch on. I love that you brought up sort of his 
kind of the pitchiness, quaveriness of his voice, of, of Noah's voice on Young Prayer. I feel like one of the reasons it it holds up so well is that it's like I like, I like that you said the word captured. Like it it does feel captured in the sense that you're in there at the room with him, but you also feel like you're sort of with a musician who's beginning to discover kind of like what he's capable of in terms of like with his voice and just with recording. Like when in our campfire for the research for our campfire episode, I remember reading that Noah, his main memories of that time are are kind of him realizing like him starting to sing, you know, going from being a drummer and playing guitar in the band now, and then also singing. And he, he quotes something like, you know, starting to do something I didn't realize that I was capable of doing. And it was really exciting. And I feel like on Young Prayer, maybe obviously sings a lot on Sung Tongs, but again, is, is probably not someone who thought of himself or was trained as a singer at any point up until sort of he kind of learned while being in this band and I think Young Prayer, you kind of you sort of hear that happening, like to to feel so excited about your like new skill, but to be able to sort of like record it and capture it kind of as it's being refined, as it's like sort of blooming, yeah. I guess. I think is a that, really cool I think thing. That's it. I think I think that's yeah. that shows up a lot in their music is like you're kind of discovering what they are at the same time. It's kind of this sense of arrival or discovery. Uh yeah. which is and they're really capturing cool. the process too, not they're not capturing like the most crystalline produced thing. You know, he didn't wait till he could have, you know, perfect pitch to to do that yeah. album. He just it just came out of him. Obviously, that big emotional event happened that sort of prompted this this monastic like response. But yeah, I just thought of that, Justin, when you said it sounds this sounds like grown up animal collective, because at the same time it has that just like unmistakably youthful kind of innocence, but like courage also. Like they always have the sense that like, you know, we're kids singing songs before we even have the ego to like be able to think or yeah. feel things about them kind of in a way. Yeah. And it's, it's got some of the most like straightforward music in the animal collective universe. I think that one that's like a minute long, it's kind of the most upbeat part. It sounds like a Charlie Brown song almost. It's like piano and guitar. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That track? Yeah, definitely. That's like just, yeah. It's also the one that's most clearly overdubbed and like sequenced. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like, I always think of that as like a, it's like a breather among all this heaviness. And yeah. It's just something, this very simple, very simple, very pretty thing. And it's like, if, if I didn't mention it in the review, I've thought of it since, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like being around someone who's dying, which I've done a few times in my life at this point, ha- hadn't ever done it when I wrote that review though. But, um, uh-huh. you know, um, it's, it, it is this mix of like, heaviness and um pain and um anguish and then moments of levity and laughter too you know and so it's like in some ways this is he captured the proportions of that pretty well you know what i mean there's nine songs and one of them is this it's almost like that song you can imagine like laughter uh, happening you know mm-hmm. um so it's like, yeah, yeah, it does, it does, it does have this ability to like mix it up a little bit too, and I feel like that's in the mix during those kinds of experiences too. Yeah. Definitely, I think. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I encountering that song out of context. It's almost like I sometimes wonder if it's gonna get you know like added to a Spotify playlist at some point and just like yeah. skyrocket up. The, <laughs> it's become one of those random D sides that like I know the algorithm decides the champion. <laughs> yeah, it could have been yeah. like an iPad, iPad ad or I. <laughs> Not iPad, but um, uh, what was that first one? 
<laughs> those old devices. Uh, yeah, the uh, iPod, like an iPod. Remember the iPod? Music oh yeah, thing in the two thousands, and it almost has that like feel to it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I know you guys gave it an 8.5, which is, I think, you also gave Tomboy an 8.5. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Um, obviously, Tomboy is kind of the more high-profile album. Do, yeah, do you, like, basically stand by your score, your review? or to what? Yeah, I do. You <laughs> no know, um, yeah, it's funny. Like, I mean, we, we definitely, we, we talked about how this acoustic period after hearing, you know, there, there were a little... There were definitely like little elements that kind of hinted that this could come from the earlier stuff, but um, how this seemed like a pop move in some ways, relatively speaking. Um, I'm not talking about Young Prayer specifically, but this like period of of their music, you know. And then like what came after was all was equally fascinating, especially what came after for, you know, I loved Young Prayer, of course, you know, and it, it, kind of like I thought like. I, I can't really speak to its influence and how much like people have taken it up, up is like something that inspires them in music, but it definitely like um, among, you know, animal collective fans, it does kind of like people, it, it does get forgotten pretty easily. And I kind of thought that, yeah. like I did mention that that was a possibility, you know, but, um, and it's yeah. for, for obvious reasons, but, um, but then I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see it connect with people. So it, 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 it's kind of it's probably had an afterlife pretty close to what I would have guessed it would be, um, and I I do think it's a very very special record. Sometimes it's nice to like it does have a high score on it, um, and you know at that time I I remember very clearly like during the whole rise of Animal Collective, especially when I was writing up about them a lot. A lot of my peers who also wrote about music and also just people I knew in general, like there was a lot of um, dislike of them yeah and, you know it was, it was very strong and very so i remember at the time with young pair saying like god i think this is amazing and some people were like oh my god that's some of the worst music i've ever heard i had a room i had a roommate um i was playing this album this is a few years ago and he's like what is this yodeling shit <laughs> yeah totally and um you know and like I, I i i've long been interested in in um I like music that exists at the borders of what music is, you know? Yeah. And I think this album does that. Sometimes, you know, I like a lot of elect electronic music where it's like barely music, you know? I just think that's, there's something really fun about that. So I, I do think this, this captures that well. And, but, but then thinking about, you know, what came after this course, like, so it was like Young Prayers, you know, at that time, if I knew he had a uh, first album, I, I don't think it even circulated on file sharing at that time. I know it has since, and I have listened to it, but uh, it was the first tape or whatever was very, very obscure. So, yeah, for all I think it's sort of this, this yeah, seems it's like kind of this juvenilia. Yeah, yeah sort of. totally. It's not really canon, but um, so this being his first solo album, and then like when he started releasing these singles and the lead up to person pitches, like, oh my god, he's now it's doing this and it's totally different. Yeah, and wasn't it like only a few months after? Because wasn't the first songs for Person Pitch came out in 05? Do I that, have that? That sounds right. Yeah. So not too long after this, he was already switching it up. Totally. And, you know, that stuff was hugely exciting 
for obvious reasons. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, I'm not in Comfy and Nautica. I'm looking. I have Wikipedia open, but that was September 2005. So wow, almost exactly a year almost later. Almost a year, but I didn't realize the singles came out that ahead of the actual album. Yeah, yeah. No wonder it kind of vanished then, Young Prayer. That's so, that's such a quick follow up. Yeah, yeah. And so like when that was coming, it was like it was also again so exciting, and then. Um, you know, Bros was the next year, and then yeah, and then there were a couple, a couple singles just before Person Pitch. But and you know, Person Pitch was very obviously super accessible relatively to what it comes for. <laughs> and um, so you know, and there's some, there is something so interesting about that when a noise band becomes a song oriented band, and they're actually really good at it. You know, it's like that happens sometimes where it's like yeah. They, they don't really do that so well, you know. It's usually the reverse, like uh, yeah, uh, like Radiohead, you know, band like they'll start off in a center pop direction, and then they'll yeah. go, then they'll go to the left, you know. Scott but Walker, Animal yeah. Collective did it in reverse, and I don't know. Can you guys think of any other bands that kind of did that, uh, or artists, or? Yeah, um, it's hard for me to think of ones that did it successfully uh, yeah. off the top of my head. Anyway, yeah, I mean, another one that kind of did it in reverse is um you know tom waits like um, him cool. in the 80s you know that yeah. he, he got very experimental in the 80s after being kind of a conventional singer songwriter in yeah. the 70s but um yeah it, it was a, it was such a it was, it was just a fascinating progression and then then eventually they got more experimental again you know like i don't know if you guys have done an episode on meriwether post filling itself but um not yet we're saying that was yeah i mean that was like you know, of course, I absolutely love that record too. And, um, but that was really like, there was a very strong, like, where can they go from here kind of thing when you kind of felt that before, but then it kept going, you know, more and more in this direction. And then now suddenly it's like a song that people play at their wedding. And, you know, and it was just like, it seemed crazy. And, um, yeah, it broke containment. Yeah. They, they, they didn't, they didn't keep doing that, you know, they, they went on to other things once again. And so it was like, I mean, there's still, you still, it's, when you hear new albums coming, you don't know what it's going to sound like, you know? Yeah. But it, or, but it doesn't yeah. exist along a spectrum as much as it did at that time, you know, where it's like, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like up and down. It was like kind of going from, you know, it's evolving and changing, but like generally moving in a certain direction, which was interesting. Yeah, like you know, they weren't putting out, out. Yeah, yeah. It was just like it all felt organic and worked together. But it was like you could feel the changes. Feeling it was like shedding skin or something. It was just really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you know that's what's cool about them. They'll they'll always surprise you whether you're on board with it or not, which I think is cool. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Meriwether and. what what kept you guys from like giving it a ten? Like what stopped yeah. it from being a ten? <laughs> well, it definitely it was it was in the conversation, and um, yeah, you know, at that point, like the ten for a new release, it it had been so you know it was something that I'm kind of glad that Pitchfork has since broken it, but it was something that was um, I think we were just afraid to you to do it, you know, like because yeah. during because Pitchfork. You know, it gave two tens in 
one year, you know, Yankee with a Tell Foxtrot and um, <sighs> the Trail of Dead album, you know, both got a 10 the same year. And mm. then there were no 10s for a long time after that. And, um, you know, until the Kanye West album. So like, um, yeah. I think like, yeah, it was just like, it was really just, just that, you know, we talk about it and I was like, well, there's, you know, we kind of like lost track of like, what is a 10 in some ways. And, um, you know, it was, um, yeah. It's like, oh, there's some songs that maybe aren't quite perfect. So maybe it's not a 10, yeah. <laughs> you know, we should say, like that. Yeah. For the record, it was, it was a 9.6, right? Yeah, nine point six. Yeah, for Mayweather, which is spiritually a ten. Damn, yeah. <laughs> and that was like, um, it's not related to the, what we're talking about, but uh, just a quick story about that review. Sure, was, you, you probably heard that. Um, you know, there was all this anticipation, and then like a song leaked, and you you know all about that story. Maybe you even experienced it at the time. That was a crazy, but, crazy period. Yeah, but it was an exceedingly hard promo to choir. And, um, ah. you know, it was like, it was just, they were at that time, like very concerned with leagues and, um, they really didn't want the whole album to leave. And so, um, yeah, it was just like, they really had it locked down. But, um, I remember I got it, I got it right before like Pitchfork took a Christmas break or a holiday break around December. And so, um, my wife, Julie and I drove from, Chicago to Virginia because we were going there for holidays and I was just like listening to in the car and I had my laptop and it was really it was an amazing experience because um I had like the copy that had been sent to Pitchfork I'm sure I had ripped it for a couple people but I wasn't in the office anymore so I wasn't talking to people and like I really did um like I was, I worked on a lot of that review when I was driving with her, I was riding the passenger seat and wow. then I would play her, play her songs, but like, check out this one. I would like play a car stereo and then put my headphones back on. Nice. And, um, it was like, I, you know, I loved it so much, but it was just such a like powerful experience because I, it was, I was, I felt like I was the only person in the world who was hearing it, you know? So it was like, <laughs> it, was, it was just a weird, you know, now if I hear something, even if you have an advance, I'll say, Hey, have you heard this record? Oh, here it is. And then I'll talk to somebody and, you know, text or whatever. But at that time <laughs> I was just, I just had this record and like, it was just me and the record, you know, yeah. and, um, no, no social media, yeah no one in the office even to discuss it with and um and i wrote like it's really really long i probably wrote like two thousand words or something and wow um, eventually <laughs> turned that into what the review was but it was just a very memorable experience and you know obviously like powered by just how much i love that record so that was that was fun yeah that that, that, awesome. that period was crazy um there's like people trying to get getting the band's phone number and calling them and trying to trying to get the leak and I think it actually Brian's yeah yeah they yeah they had Brian's email maybe and uh, I think um I think the album actually freebirded I think on Christmas or something yeah, maybe that sounds right and, and that, people, at that time my review was done I think pretty much yeah yeah but I remember collected animals people were just yeah it, it was it was crazy um that was the very beginning um yeah, a lot of joy during that period. No. Yeah. 
Well, Young Prayer does turn 20 next year, so maybe we can send the word out that, you know, we need to re- reissue, repress. Yeah. That would be incredible. Would love to have that weird album art on a big LP. Yeah. But yeah, I did just want to read, uh, I'm sure you're a huge fan, Mark, of having your music writing read back to you. But <laughs> No, that's fine. I did just want to read one more part of this Young Prayer review, and it's the Beach Boys part, which... I loved discovering this because, yeah, I mean, the, the Beach Boy comparisons with this band are sort of everywhere, but it's, I don't know, sort of hard to explain to people why. Like, I remember when I first was, like, playing my dad, Animal Collective, I was like, hey, like, Beach Boys-ish a little bit. But it's like Panda Bear, like, the, his, the purity of his, like, tone is sort of Brian Wilson-esque, but it doesn't really sound like Brian Wilson to me, and, like, the arrangements are all different. But but I loved what you wrote in this review because I just feel it feels to me like sort of like the skeleton key for that kind of comparison. And I'll just read it quick. It says, Animal Collective's relationship to the Beach Boys is unusual, as they don't seem particularly inspired by Wilson's compositional sense. More than anything, Animal Collective taps directly into the thing that made the Beach Boys a 20th century American version of sacred music. It's an approach in which voices say more with music than they ever could with words. And it's why the Beach Boys transcend their dorky lyrics as easily as Animal Collective transcend unintelligibility. So I thought I'd just share that with our listeners because to me that just that hits it right on the nose that that sort of mysterious relationship between these two artists. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, right. That, that, that sounds familiar. Do you feel like they downplayed the kind of Beach Boys connection? I feel like they're much bigger fans than they let on. I think. Yeah, you know they did for quite a while. Anyway, I mean. Sometimes with his, his latter day solo records, it seems even more unavoidable, especially like with the last record with Sonic Bloom, which I thought was really good. The Panda Bear did recently, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, the fact that they were working in this like like loops from songs from the sixties and he's the, the melody's very upbeat, it's like pretty undeniable at that point, oh, you yeah. know. It's the catchiest thing they've done or yeah. collective members. And yeah. um not that oh. Not that you can trace it to any specific song or anything, but like this idea of this high voice that does invoke sunshine. I mean, just because we've been trained, you know, it's like, I would say like, we've been trained to hear Brian Wilson's, you know, fit falsetto and say, it sounds like sunshine because we know the story of the Beach Boys. You know, if we heard that song, that sound yeah. in isolation and we'd never heard of the Beach Boys, we wouldn't necessarily say that sounds like sunshine, but We've we've heard that and like he he definitely has an element to that in like the grain of his voice. And so it's like it's almost like if you grow up hearing the Beach Boys or grow up listening to the radio, it does seem pretty unavoidable just because because of the, the, the vocal tone and so on. But um but yeah, of course then there's plenty of music that it's funny because like mm-hmm. feels there's really nothing on feels that you would use to describe that way. And I know that's more like Dave's album. Yeah, but um, but so it, it it varied over time, you know. But um, sometimes it seems yeah, like very clear. Yeah, part of me wonders if 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 the dudes will ever sort of steer back this way into the kind of more I guess acoustic, more experimental side. I kind of thought we might get something like that with buoys before that record came out. Didn't end up being that. Yeah, but uh, who knows? You know, I, I don't know if you guys caught the um, Sung Tongs tour that um yeah i did yeah david know it did but i thought that was like amazing oh dude yeah it was like uh-huh. as we're as the tour you know as the shows were announced but i saw it in brooklyn but i didn't really know how it was going to come off until i saw it and um yeah i was like 
stunned at how well it came off. And um, it, it reminded me, it's like, wow, they really could like do this, a version of this again, anytime if they wanted to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like two guys, guitar and a bass drum, it sounds this good and they can, they can do it, you know, but just they're, they're interested in other things now, <laughs> but I was yeah. like, it really hard to get them all back. It was so yeah, many, I, I guess it was 20 years later, but yeah. I sadly missed that tour, but luckily I think it's the Brooklyn shows video. They took a video and it's on YouTube yeah. and there's literally people like moshing to two guys yeah. with two stick guitars. <laughs> like it is, oh the God, energy so is great. just at a boiling point. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It, it seems Still like it. the, the revisited Sung Tongs tour was more faithful to the record. Whereas the original live material in like Oh three was, it seemed mm-hmm. a lot more just kind of wild and, and way yeah. looser. Right. And the record ended yeah. up being this kind of very beautiful, a little more in hushed tones recording. But uh, yeah, yeah. What's this band's legacy marker like? You know, how do you think of them today? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like as a touchstone for other artists, and just they don't have the like currency in terms of conversations around indie music that they once did. Mm-hmm. But I, I think. I, I can't believe that bothers them because it seems like that was, they were never really driven by that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, you, you hinted at that, the first quote you read from the young prayer piece, but like sometimes it's, it's very easy to feel like whatever feels like is the case in this moment in music. It's probably the way it'll always be. But the truth is that like things are constantly going in and out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the two thousands, there were, there actually were like a lot of new bands that came along where you're like, sounds like animal collective. And, um, yeah. And then they might interview them and they're like, yeah, we love animal collective. And so like at that time there was some of the spirit of their music was really something that other bands were attaching themselves to. And you can almost just tell that like an audience of animal collective fans might be interested in something else. I mean, even though they sound nothing like them, but you guys interviewed Dustin Wong, and like, I know that people who love Ponytail at the time tended to love Animal Collective too. I mean, I guess if nothing else, like the vocal style for the person in that band, like, um, you know, it was, of course, never just done any of the words. And it was, th- there's definitely like a connection there between what we're talking about of like making sounds and, and the feeling of delight and how, how you can make sounds. And so, and there were other bands of that era that um, conveyed some of that. And then for a, quite a while, um really like post post Meriwether throughout the 2010s that's just not where indie music was you know and at that time it would probably be like there was like a little bit never for me like I've never stopped listening to their records and enjoying them but just in terms of like this what was going on at the center of you know I exist in a music critics world so I'm always thinking about music critic conversations, but also the way that those spill out among like music fans and social media. But there was a feeling in the 2010s of like, oh yeah, that was, that was then that was of its time. Yeah. But then as time goes on, it's, it's like these things always go through cycles, you know, and it's like, I think they've like come back into the conversation in a way that since then. And so I think it'll, I, I think their legacy will always be like in flux, you know, depending on like, what part of their career and what part of their sound is being referenced and also um, what the, 
what the values are of whatever's at the center of the of the independent music conversation at, at a given moment. But um, I definitely think people will be listening to and talking about these records for a long time. Yeah, in terms of like modern bands, I feel like um, 100 Gex kind of reminds me of Animal Collective a little bit, just kind of the hyper-modern, exploded sound. Um, yeah. For sure. Um, thanks for, you know, revisiting Young Prayer with us. Um, when's when should people listen to this album? Like, what's a great time or place, or <laughs> like, what if we? You know, I I think of it as um, I think of it as a nighttime album, and mm. I definitely think of it as an album that I listen to in solitude. Mm. Um, yes, I don't think I've ever listened to it with another person actually. Oh, interesting. And um, same. So actually. I think like <laughs> an evening alone, probably yeah, an evening alone over a stereo, not in headphones. I think would be a good way to start with it. Nice. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, it's also, yeah, it seems like a Sunday album too. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Could be. I just want to say, yeah, thanks for championing this band, Mark. You know, I know Justin oh, and I have yeah. enjoyed your writing over the years about this band and many others. It's also been cool as people who sort of came into the Animal Collective fold around Meriwether to go back. And one thing I love about your reviews is you just feel, I mean, obviously you're it's all at the time, but you are pretty in lockstep with the band, and, and some of your reviews end in pretty prescient ways. Like uh, I read the Water Curses EP review, which was the last one right before Meriwether, and you can kind of tell that you can tell that they're like on the springboard, sort of ready to uh-huh. ready to blast off. But, uh, but yeah, thanks for when other people were making fun of Young Prayer. Thanks for sticking up for it and, and yeah. just this band's music in general. It's that's awesome. Oh yeah, well thanks. Yeah, thanks for asking me to be on. Um, I, I really appreciate it. It's fun, fun to talk about. I haven't talked about some of this stuff in a long time, so happy to do it. And I'll, I'll definitely go back and uh, check out some of the other episodes. Sweet. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, and um, definitely check out Mark's work if you haven't. He recently had a uh, Sunday review for Pitchfork, for Keith Jarrett's album, which is really great. Um, and you could check him out in the Wall Street Journal, too. Um, right. Right on. Get by the paywall. Yeah. I'm a Very subscriber. Very paywall, so that's tough to see, but yep. I'm a subscriber. Yeah. I haven't read the Time Skips review yet because I got I got to borrow your account, Justin. I think Mark Sweet. liked we'll, it. I think Mark liked Time Skips. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was very into it. Yeah, and we appreciate you coming on our little startup podcast. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the time on a Sunday. We appreciate yeah. it. Cool. All right. Well, we'll take it easy. Touch. Cool. Definitely. Thanks a lot, Mark. Take care. That's it for today. Thanks a bunch for listening. Check out our other episodes if you haven't. We just interviewed Deacon on our last episode. We spoke to A.V. Tear earlier this year. And yeah, if you want to get in touch, we're on Instagram at bonefishpod. Shoot us an email at bonefishpod at gmail.com. And until next time, take it easy. Bone fit.